right, welcome everybody to episode number 47 of Collectible Live. Today is Sunday, October the 2nd, 2022, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in last time with our guest, Rob Gerard, the sports card therapist. You can check out his podcast on all the podcast platforms by that same name, the sports card therapist. I want to welcome again viewers from LinkedIn. We are streaming to LinkedIn now as well, but let's get to this week's guest. He's a collector and investor of cards and unopened wax. Neil Rock, welcome to Collectible Live. How are you doing today? Great, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you bet, man. It's, great. It, it's really good to have you, Neil. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start the episode. We're going to have a discussion. Then we may take a look at some things going on on the Collectible platform. Viewers, everyone in the chat, welcome to the show. Be sure to post your questions, your comments in the chat. We will get to as many of them as we can. But Neil, let's get into it. Let's start off. Why don't you let us learn a little bit about you? Take us through your hobby history. And before you do, I just have to let everybody know that I'm I'm look as I look above the camera, I'm I'm looking out onto the Las Vegas strip. We are live from the industry summit in Las Vegas. And uh here actually, maybe Neil, before before you, you answer the question, I'm just gonna take the camera here. I just turn around, let everyone sort of see what I see. We got the Mirage right over there. Wow. I can see the Rio over there. Few, uh, we, uh, what else do we see? What else do we see? Well, anyway, it's just nice. There's the, the kind of neat that the, the Mirage is right there across the, the way. So let's get back to it and uh, start the show. So why don't you let us know, learn a little bit about you, Neil? Oh, that's amazing, Jeremy. Um, we, uh, so I'm a collector. I've been collecting most of my life, as, as long as I can remember. Um, most of my um, collecting was um, opening boxes, then started into, um, my father once said to me that you can, I won't buy you an autograph every year for your birthday because they were very expensive, but instead I'll give you as much shipping and handling as you can use. So I would mail letters to, um, to celebrities. And, um, and I was actually just thinking back today, there was, uh, and if somebody wrote back to me, I'd write back to them again and again and again. I must've been like I don't know, eight or 12. And um, Jerry West wrote back to me and he wrote, please stop writing to me because I'd write to him so often. And when I wait outside the Great Western Forum, I one day met him. You know, I was waiting for autographs and uh, Anthony Peeler, you know, back in the day with the Lakers. And Jerry West said, what's your name, kid? And I was like, it's Neil Rock. He's like, have we met before? Because I'd written to Jerry West so many times. Um, that, but that's how I got into it. That's how I learned about a lot of the old players, um, like Ernie Banks. And, um, and then, you know, life happens. And then... Um, and then I got back into it about, I don't know, 12 years ago. Um, and um, and the last year, I'd say I probably accelerated in more. Um, great timing, I guess. But yeah, I got in well, much heavier in the last year than I did um, uh, when I first started, which is a pity. But, um, you know, the price fluctuations don't really concern me as much uh, for the type of stuff that I buy. Right. I don't yeah. know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that, that, that's pretty good. It's good to just get some some context from the guests and learn a bit about where they've been and where they ha- what brings them today in the hobby. Oh, you, you're muted. Okay. Can you hear me now? Perfectly. Something muted my mic. I don't know what it was. Okay. So that's what happens when you're not in the usual studio. What's with the cowboy hat? You got a story behind the cowboy hat? I just moved to Denver uh, a year or two ago, and uh, my wife got me one, and I wore it so much. I looked like a witch, 
So she bought me another one. And, um, and it's just a thing I have with my, uh, my oldest. So right on. Um, All right. Well, welcome everybody to the show. If you would like to follow Neil on Instagram, it's a new account. He just signed up on Instagram. You can see it on the ticker right there at Denver card lover. Let's help him build up the account there. When we chatted the other day, one thing that really stuck out to me that I found interesting is that your comment that you just don't like to sell anything. <laughs> Can you uh, kind of explain why that is? What, is? what is it about your personality or what is it about these, these cards and unopened products that you that make you not want to ever sell them? Well, you know, when the pandemic started, my wife thought I was crazy because I always loved sports cards. She said, um, you know, they're worth nothing. I don't know if anyone else is out there as wives have told them that. So I did sell one card to prove to her that there was a worth. And that was an 89 upper deck uh, Griffey. And immediately I regretted it. And, um, and so, so I, what's the, thank God we don't, I don't need the money to, to buy something different. And, um, and I would just go back and buy that same card again. So the last time I sold something, which was, um, so like, you know, I said, Neil, you, know, you buy so much, you got to sell something. Just prove again to your wife. So I sold the card and immediately I had to write back to them and say that, um, you know, the cards no longer available. I had such regret the minute it was sold and, um, you know, you, you can't find the stuff again. You know, the, you spend so long and, and, and I believe in what I'm buying, Jeremy, I really believe in what I'm buying. And, and I also believe that, um, and I've heard you say this before and it makes so much sense. And I think about what you said a lot is as long as you buy over time, the stuff that you like, and you don't go in the whims of the prices, right? And we love what we do, right? We love the sports card industry as a hobby. Then, you know, what, the whims or the ups and downs of the market don't really matter so much. So I don't want to pick when I want to sell something. I, I, I'm not ready yet. And now what I'm trying to figure out is, is from a state planning point of view is, is how to have everything lined up so that, you know, the day that I do die, my wife doesn't just put it outside of the house and say it's worthless, Right. Um, because it's all perceived value and my perceived value is high and hers is, is low. Right. Um, so I, I just don't want it to, you know, but she would say handbags are worth a lot. I don't know. I have no, I, I would put those outside the house. Right. But my sports cards, and that's the beautiful thing about grading and the stuff that you're doing is um, it does allow it to be um, cataloged to one day be sold. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's good. You, you said that uh, you love what you're buying. Do you want, let, let us have a bit of insight, if you don't mind, into what it is that you're buying that you're loving so much. Sure. Um, you know, so I just set up an Instagram account just because I was, I was speaking to you and I, I, I'm not an uh, uh, Instagram like expert at all. I have one friend and it's you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I need, right? Um, but, but, um, but if you go, but so that just highlights some of the last ones that I bought. And some of them were, I got the 82 um, Hogan Rookie. Um, from Cosmos set, which I think is a really cool card. Um, I actually got that on the day my baby was born. Um, I bought a Mickey Mantle 51 Bowman. Um, I, I think the 51 Bowman's underappreciated. I bought the uh, Robinson 49 uh, Bowman. I have the, the 48, 48 asterisk 49 leaf. Um, uh, so I thought that's a beautiful card. Uh, a couple Chamberlain rookies. Um, I collect Jewish athletes, so I, I, uh, there's a couple of great Jewish boxers. Uh, and the 48 Leaf has a cool um, Jewish boxer. The Bobby Orr um, 66 Tops card. Um, you know, these things will never go out of style. The, the Gehrig, uh, I think it was a 33 Gaudi. Um, you know, those are the types of things that I like, which is 
those will never go out of style. And I love vintage. I always have. Uh, maybe it's because I'm nostalgic or what, but uh, I never really got into the new stuff. Um, but I, but lately I have, we can go into that later. Um, and it seems like a lot of your guests who are mainly vintage have gone into it too. The, the uh, Mickey Mantle 52 Bowman I love. I love unopened cards. I love the Jordan. Um, I bought a PSA 10 uh, sticker rookie. I bought um, a Jim Brown 58 tops rookie. Um, I'm trying to get all the Jordan um, 80s rookie stickers at 10s. Um, it's easier now than it was uh, originally. Um, probably the most ridiculous card that I bought um, was a Bill Walton rookie card. And talk about population reports, that's a pop three. You would never think a Bill Walton card would go for what it does, what it did. I can't sleep at night sometimes thinking that somebody's about to grade another 10, right? Because if that goes to a four population, that's probably down substantially. But um, if there's any Walton fans out there, which I'm not the biggest Walton fan, but I think it's the most beautiful card. Yeah. Uh, but those are the type of stuff that I'm buying. Um, and, and I just don't think you can go wrong with it. You know, I just don't. We're not giving investment advice, obviously, but I just, I, where's Bobby Orr going? Right. No, that's right. I mean, ev everything you just listed, all every card you just listed, every athlete you just listed, I believe is, is a good, you know, and again, we talk investment, we talk assets, all these things on, on Collectible Live and the hobby. There's the narrative out there. Every Everything you just listed to me is a worthwhile holding being both, you know, it satisfies the, the collecting itch, but it also satisfies the investing itch. I think when you're putting money into those athletes, those cards, you can feel pretty good about them. And like you said before, and in, in listening to you, and you mentioned you heard me say it, if you're kind of always buying, you're going to just right right you're riding the waves you're you're really it's similar to like dollar cost averaging you're investing you're just you're gonna if you're always buying at the market you're going to i think do well over time from a financial return perspective if that's important to you and because it's really difficult to just say oh we're peaking now i'm gonna stop buying because you'd never know if we're peaking or if we're in the in, in the in the valley of, of of these cycles it's hard I, I don't like to time the market i don't think i'm very good at it so i don't try to maybe i should try a bit harder but uh but i think you're right it, it's good to just kind of always be if you want to be always buying i don't think that's a terrible approach although if you feel that the market is high maybe you want to wait and give it some time um but that's that that just depends on on your approach have you ever thought about trying to time the market does it does it do you wish you could how do you feel about that you know, it's, it's interesting to time. Not only would you have to time the market, but you would have to time the perfect card, right? So to find uh, a, a great Bobby Orr card at the right time in the market, that's got its own story altogether. If you're if, if, if you're looking for something liquid like uh, whatever these new cards are, right, that have fifteen thousand uh, popular uh, PSA tens, sure you can time the market. But when somebody's selling you a, a Mickey Mantle or whoever that are, are, are amazing Gordy Howe card, you showed me one of your beautiful Gordy Howe cards. Those don't come around, right? So it's almost like if you see it, you gotta buy it. Um, otherwise, you may never see it again. And 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 you know, I guess it also depends on your uh, mentality and your risk tolerance. If this is your primary livelihood and you're buying and selling, then sure, then then you're probably not messing around with one of a kind stuff. You're probably looking at more liquid stuff, anyways that you can time, but I've never been successful in timing anything in life and um, even like weather. Right. Yeah. So I, who am I to, uh, to think that it's the great humble. It, it's a, what's it called? The great equalizer. It humbles everybody. 
And, um, and I think if you just stop thinking about is the right time, the wrong time, it's just, it's a matter of like your personal time and can you afford it? And if it went to zero, would you be able to move on? And if you can't, then you shouldn't be buying it. Yeah. You make a really good point there at the beginning that it's not just about timing the market. It's about if you're going to try to time the market on, on rare cards, you might not be able to because the card you want when you feel the market is down just might not come available. So let's give you an example on that, on that, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if I heard it on your podcast or like crossover or another one I was listening to was do you, there was a, the Roberto Clemente PSA 950 something came up for sale. And before uh, at the peak, it sold for like 1.3 maybe. Um, and just recently it sold again and it was, it was down or flat or up a little, like it, it really didn't move much. Whereas if you looked at like, uh, I don't know, pick all in the new young guys, I don't know. They, they were down 50, 50, 60, 70%, right? So, but there's one of those are bullet Comante cards. And uh, so I don't, I don't think you can time the market on a card like that. No, when, when it comes available and you want that card, you just have to buy it for whatever it costs, if you can afford it, of course, right? For sure, for sure. All right, let's, uh, let's see what we got in the comments. There's, we got some people with us. We got uh, Brian Adams, couldn't wait for the show to start. Chris C says, I'm the same way. I rarely sell. I have lots of sealed boxes put away for the long-term hold, including 81 Tops football. I'm cool. bullish on wax and established players in all sports. I mean, that, number one, I like that box as well, but I like that last sentence. I'm as bullish on wax and established players in all sports. What do you want to say, Neil? So just that 81 Tops, I think it's a fantastic set, right? Um, totally underappreciated. But what's interesting was I was doing research and there's different types of um, layouts of those boxes, right? You have the rack, the, the rack packs, you've got the individual, um, and you're probably going to get one Joe Montana in that box, hopefully, right? Um, I also collect them and I, I've... Um, I, I'm a huge fan of it. I've tried to collect all the 80s tops. So I think it's a really cool box to hold on to, and I wouldn't open it. You know, there's no benefit in opening that box. Zero. Zero. No, no yeah. the, I think, no, yeah, the, the collectible, the investable asset there is the unopened product. It's, it's yeah. a relic itself. And I think that's what, you know, I collect unopened packs, and I've got, I've got, I've got I don't know, 20 or 30 of them, and people always say to me, don't you want to open? It's like, I don't want to open it all. It doesn't tempt me whatsoever. I like the relic being that unopened pack. To me, that is the collectible. What I do say is that, you know, if I have, if I, if I can plan it this way on my deathbed, maybe I'll open up all those packs and, and see what was inside. You'll be disappointed. Yeah, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> but I'll also be on my deathbed, so maybe it won't matter. Uh, Brian Adams just gave you a follow on Instagram. Very nice. Thank you. Chris C says, I wish I had the money for vintage pre-1970. I have to keep my kidneys. That's a good decision, Chris. Uh, Contender Sports Cards on Instagram says, Neil may be onto something with holding cards. I say this because when Fanatics starts marketing worldwide, all valuable cards may be undervalued. That's something that I think a lot of people are thinking right now. I think a lot of us are thinking, and I know I am, you know, Fanatics is going to come in. They want to 10x the hobby. Does that not 10x the demand, which means that prices have to go up in values? I don't know for sure, but I think some people are thinking that way. Do you have any thoughts yourself on that, Neil? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I think about, you know, I have, I have uh, you have two children, right? Uh, yes. Um, and um, and at similar ages to mine. Oh, my, mine's my, my last one's only a month old, so definitely younger. But, um, you know, I, I think about players like, um, pick Jack, oh, Jack Robinson's not a good example, but pick. Uh, Yogi Berra, okay? 
I don't know if my son's going to know who Yogi Berra is, but I think Fanatics is going to make it, or even like Bruno San Martino in wrestling, right? I feel like the um, I've asked friends, they don't know who he is, but Fanatics, I, I think, is going to um, publicize those names because of that. They have to push the, the, the history forward, and Yogi Berra will always be known based on all the documentaries that they put out and everything that Fanatics needs to push the history of baseball, right? So I, I think it's going to help a lot with the older players staying relevant, which helps guys like us who have those older players. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I hope that proves to be true. I hope that they want to preserve the history because they're in the baseball card and market among other sports, basketball, football. I wonder, though, does it behoove them to shine the light on the vintage or does it behoove them more to shine the light on the modern players? Cause that's what they're selling. They don't have, they're not going to be selling the, the cards from the past, although they do own tops and tops has that, that heritage brand and a ton of equity. Or the, uh, the new platinum set that just came out from tops, the 2021 platinum, like the 70th anniversary. The anniversary. Um, I love that set um, because it's like a remake of the 52 tops. I love it. Now you've, there's so many old players in there that they, if they're, and, and I feel like it costs them less to maybe print those than to print like a Tatis, right? I don't know, but it's, uh, they, they're obviously trying to keep um, those older players relevant. I don't know. I don't know why I picked Yogi Berra, but. Um, I like the pick. Yeah. I like the pick. If you, I think of Roy, Roy Campanella and, you know, yeah. Musial and all these players that have their rookie cards in the, in the late 40s. Uh, and you know, obviously you can go back further and it would become even more true that, you know, will our kids, yours and mine, know who these players were? And I think the history of the game is never going to disappear. It will always be referred to and 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 remembered fondly. So I think there's always going to be. But then I wonder to myself, Neil, you know, the the better players will will always be remembered. But what about those sort of average or lower end Hall of Famers? Are they going to become less relevant? Give me an example. Like Robin Ralph Robert. Kiner. Who's sorry? Ralph Kiner. Yeah, see, for me, it means something, right? For me, that means something. And you're right. I guess your your son would have to be a follower of the Hall of Fame, right? And collect Hall of Fame players. He is in the Hall of Fame, I believe. He is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So th that that keeps him relevant. But um, you know, like I I asked my other uh, friend of mine's son, like if he knew who um who was the player that I asked if he knew, and he had no idea. I was like shocked by it mm -hmm. but you know, that the biggest risk i find to my collection right is the relevance of these players yeah. as time goes on you know you but then we got people who collect the t206 set with all the back variations and however many total cards there is in that the monster set i don't know how many how many different cards there are to be to complete the monster t206 but like any set i don't know why i call that one but any set and there's whether it's the 57 tops baseball or the 52 tops, uh, sorry, the 57 tops basketball or 52 tops baseball, whatever it is, there's so many players within these sets that are just, they're not relevant except for the fact that they're in the sets. However, we have the very powerful PSA set registry with people going to complete these sets. How long will they continue to chase these older sets and, and, and all the personally for me, I collect hall of fame rookies, all sports, and I used to go for some sets. I said, I just don't have room for them when I'm collecting so many Hall of Famers. So I'm not going to go for all the lesser name players or the commons for sure. So 
Well, what do you do with the commons now from in a set, right? The modern cards, like. Well, wow. Yeah, I, I, give, those? I give them away for to, for Halloween. If I open up a box of SP Authentic or Prism, I give them away for Halloween. I, and I sometimes I give the stars away too. It's more about the hits these days than the than yeah. the stars even within the sets. So, yeah. Okay, let's go on to some more uh, comments. We have Collectible making a comment. Uh, this oh, is Collectible exactly. Live. I don't know who's behind this right now exactly, but uh, they are saying appreciating it can be a matter of one's risk tolerance, but do you think investors should allocate a percentage of their overall portfolio to collectibles slash sports cards? And if so, what percent makes sense to you? I love the question. I do, and I'm, and, uh, I'm glad we're going to talk about it. So I have an answer, but let's start with you, Neil. Uh, what, what do you think? Should we allocate a percent? And and second, what percent makes sense to you? First is like, you know, we're not in no way are we trying to give guidance or, or give advice to anybody, right? Because everyone, not. everyone but let's talk about myself. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about myself for a minute. My, I, I believe that if I could have a hundred percent of my net worth in something that I love, that I believe is, uh, is, uh, is an asset, I would do that. Right. But there is a need for liquidity in one's life as well. And I don't think this is a very liquid asset. Okay. Regardless of what people, and again, I'm not talking about like these, uh, the newer players, the Mahomes stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that I collect for the most part is not a liquid asset. If you want to try to get a good price for it, um, I would imagine, because I don't sell anything, but I would imagine you would have to wait to get the right price from somebody. Um, but I, I would allocate as much to this as I would allocate to, um, to an asset class like gold. Um, actually, when I was uh, cleaning up my office, I found a receipt from 2012. And the receipt was for two things. One was a Michael Jordan 86 sticker card. And one was for a, a tenth of an ounce of gold. I can tell you which one's done better mm -hmm. <laughs> since then. And it's not the gold. At the time, I would have told you, I would have thought it would have been the gold. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I believe in the asset class. It's just a matter for me if my kids are going to appreciate it, because I think I can get both an appreciated asset and something fun to do with my, with my, with my boys. Um, and that's worth something to me as well. But I, you know, I started graphing it and I, I put more into this than I do in most other asset classes. Yeah. But I like it. But you like it. That's the key right there. I can understand it, right? More than other things. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Probably a bit more extreme myself. You know, the question that Collectible is posing here is, do you think investors should allocate a percent of their yeah. overall portfolio to collectibles slash sports cards. My answer to that is, and maybe maybe this is advice to, to, to investors who are not yet in the sports card hobby. And I do give this advice sometimes casually to my friends who aren't in it. I say, you know, look what's going on. These are, these are great, fun things to collect. I always start, you know, it's like we always say collect what you like. Well, also invest in what you like. You know, mm -hmm. if you like Apple, invest in Apple. If you like Mickey Mantle, invest in Mickey Mantle. I can see, I can see the validity of both of those statements. Now, for my back, but to the question again is, do I think they should? I think they should. I think people should invest in this stuff, especially if you like it. Or I, let me re, re say that: if you like sports, if you like sports cards, memorabilia, if you want to feel like you're close to the game, these are historical mementos. Uh, it's just, it's awesome. I mean, it's going to be hard for me to to tell anyone not to invest in this stuff because I do it myself and I and I love it. Um, as for what percent makes sense, personally, I'm probably two thirds invested into the into this stuff. 
So way more than any rational investment advisor would advise anybody. I'm, I'm the extreme, but I've also been doing it my whole life. I feel like I know it pretty well. So, and I'm going to, and I'm willing to ride the wave. So um, I don't know. Just to, just, you know, one of the things I think is important there too is, is, is for you, so I've heard of people throw around like three to 5%, right. In, in, uh, in sports cards, you know, when I told you about the 86, uh, um, sticker card and the, and the piece of gold, what I didn't tell you was that 86 sticker card that I bought at the time, it was, it was a 10 graded by Gem Mint. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it's not like a real grading card company at the time. I didn't know, right. That it wasn't a PSA. Thought I got a great deal on a 10, send it a PSA comes back, like not able to be graded, whatever they, whatever it is. Right. So I guess the goal at the end of the day was worth more. The question, right. Is for somebody to invest in this asset class, how do they invest in this asset class? Right. That's the beautiful thing about collectible because it's curated and it's really high quality items. Right. Yeah. But if you're going to go on eBay and you're going to buy something, chances are it could either be, uh, you don't know what you're buying. So I wouldn't yeah. rush into it. Right. So there's something to be said about, uh, how do you allocate it? No, that's, you know, you, you make a great point and it also allows us to, to weave collectible into the discussion a bit more because so great company, well, great company. And, you know, if you are not an experienced sports card memorabilia collector, investor connoisseur, and you want to dabble, but you don't necessarily want to go out and spend 80 grand or 500 grand on a single item. And now you have to learn how to store it, how to take care of it, and then eventually dispose of it too. Sure. You can go on to, you can go and, and, and choose from the bevy of selections that, that collectible has available. You know, the collectible still over the last couple of years has built up quite a nice collection of items that you can invest on their secondary market or at IPO when they're, when the IPO flow is happening so it that's a really good way to do it minimize your risk spread out your investment that you want to allocate the capital you want to allocate to this sector spread it out over one two five ten twenty different assets on the platform and now you can own a bit of everything so you so you're you know you're kind of diversified within the sector itself and i, I think that's a great uh, i think that's a great uh, a great way to do it if you are not you know advanced enough to just or or wealthy enough to go out and buy your own 52 tops mickey mantle which even the lowest grade cards are twenty thousand dollars for an ugly psa one you know so right whereas you can take that same twenty thousand dollars and go buy a chunk of the psa 8 mickey mantle 52 tops that's sitting on the collectible platform so okay good let's go on to some more comments here Contender uh, says, what's the best way to store your cards? Should you put them in totes with silica packets if they're in a basement? No one thinks about humidity control and the long-term effect on the cards. Neil, I mean, let's go to you. How do you, and if you're willing to share, because some of this is private for security reasons, are you willing to share how do you store your cards? Well, this is a work in progress, right? I think it's a consistent work in progress. I moved to Denver, the humidity here and the temperature here has changed, right? But I find my... my um, and I just got a climate controlled room, but I, the stuff that of real value, I don't keep at home. Um, I, there's just no benefit to it, right? And, I, and I, I use PWCC a lot. I think they're great over there. I enjoy PWCC. Um, sometimes I feel like a little bit like I own an NFT because I never take possession of the card. I've never touched it, right? Like the Hogan rookie, I will probably never hold it, right? 
it's going straight from uh, auction site to PWCC and I'm going to get a digital version of it, but at least I can sleep at night knowing that it's safe. Right. Um, the stuff that I keep in my house is not stuff of any real value. Yeah. So I, I think that's a smart approach. I do like contenders uh, comment here about silica packets within what, where, whatever climate controlled or whatever fire water safe, uh, uh, container, whether it's an actual safe or something else you're keeping your cards in makes sense. Uh, contender does say no one thinks about humidity, but people actually do think about humidity. Oh, yeah. People think about it all the time. And I know a lot of people that live near oceans are very concerned about how to store their cards and they take, and a lot of people like that are using some of the vault services like you are yourself, Neil. But you know, if you have a, if you have a safe in your house, where, wherever it is hidden in your basement, in your attic, whatever, having those, <coughs> excuse me those silica packets i think is a is a pretty pretty shrewd move right there so uh good question interesting question let's go to this i'm not sure who this is on facebook but uh saying jay lee that's me in a collared shirt and a cowboy we did i did ask neil what, what was up with the cowboy hat he told us earlier that he just recently moved to denver i'm in a collared shirt i'm actually working the trade show the industry summit in vegas i i left the the, the the exhibit area downstairs to come up here so i'm actually wearing my my tag shirt right now i'm here representing tag grading so that's why you see me in a in a collared shirt uh here today goes on to say i know personally that the 10 percent of my portfolio that i have in cards is more fun than the other 90 percent by miles to me again that is the that's the key right there it's uh it's that you love it the most and i used to call i used to call cards back in the day you know collectibles too but i used to when i'd explain that to other people i would say this is my fun money you know this is it's it's my fun investment i i don't enjoy going into my online investment account and looking and seeing the return and what the stocks are doing or the funds are doing that that upsets me more than make there's no fun in it it's the opposite of fun for me what's fun is having sports cards and not worrying about and memorabilia and not worrying about what they're doing day to day, but enjoying the ownership and knowing that if you hold them long term, I believe, because I've always done it over 40 years of doing this, that you're going to come out OK from a financial perspective. So. Charles. Chris uh, does say I use climate controlled storage. So, yes, a good question. Seems 96 tops chrome were especially sensitive to humidity. Most of them have turned green. Well, actually, it's not humidity. I've spoken with um, Gene McLeod from Arena Design, who who designed a lot of Chrome cards back in the day, and uh, what 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 she explained was that it actually just has to do with the concentration of certain chemicals in the in the layers that make up that chrome that that chrome finish, that they're not always the same throughout you know every single card. That, mm. Whether that's true or not, I came from a pretty good source. I think it's act. I don't think it's predictable which copies of these cards actually go go green. Same thing goes with some acetate cards that can go yellow or gold over times, like the Duncan Go Nuts set. Do you have something to add? To yeah, that? I have more of a question for for Chrissy. Um, have you heard that? Um, so, if you bought one today, right, um, like a Kobe ninety six. Uh, would the top chrome would you is is it would it have come with the ch color have changed already then based on what you're saying about the layers of the of the dyes or is it one of those things where it could still change later but they've changed already and happened 
I believe it could still change. I think it could wow. still change based on the, the whichever is the active chemical that causes it and how much of that is present in the card surface, that surface layer, that chromium layer itself. I think that's where the uh, I think that's where the, the the problem could lie. And I think that if it's a heavy concentration, it'll it'll go green or go gold or yellow faster. If it's a lighter concentration, it might take longer and happen at a slower pace over time. Uh, just a follow up for that for, for tag because I, I know that the uh, like the PSA uh, uh, cases are not um, th there's no like protection other than being like maybe about hit it. There's no climate protection. They're not. Um, I don't know what the word is. They're not. Are you, are you talking about slabs themselves? Slab. Yeah. Does his tag does it any differently on the slab to protect it from humidity? Um, I mean, different than PSA because yeah. nothing, right? I don't, I don't know the answer to that for any of these slabs. I'm just not sure how, how sealed they are from, mm. you know, air, water. You could do a dunk test and see. I'm not sure. It's also kind of beyond my pay grade as far as the, uh, that, but a very worthwhile question that, that I should know the answer to as well. Okay, Chris C. does say goat, sealed wax, vintage, and serial number cards are the Mount Rushmore of collecting. I've never thought of it that way, but I really like that. Yeah. as a way of thinking that's fun chris c and contender says uh jeremy you mentioned safes for storing your cards but wouldn't the top loader plastic melt to the card itself in a fire ruining it seems like safety security box is the best way to go huh. i mean listen um i personally have a safe that has some of my cards in it and it is fire protected for three hours so it's fireproof it's waterproof and it's theft proof so I'm going with that. If it's wrong, then I'm in trouble if I have a fire for sure. Chris has a Kobe PSA 9 with no greening. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Nice to see. Nice to see for sure. All right, good. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I think the answer is obvious, but I want you to speak to it anyway, Neil. You know, cards, sports cards, memorabilia, unopened product. Like, how, how do you compare them as invest their investability for you versus gold or bitcoin or other stores of value that 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 you know more uh what's the word in investors who are more willing to meander away from the the traditional investment asset classes into some of these alternative assets like sports cards like uh bitcoin and cryptocurrency i don't want to call gold an alternative asset i think it's it's been around longer than most but how do you how do you how do you compare your sports cards and memorabilia to these more traditional stores of value and like gold and Bitcoin? Although Bitcoin, I recognize again, is not a, a traditional store of value. Um, well, one, the, the reason, the, the great thing I heard about gold, which I think is a great analogy for why people like gold, is, you know, back in the day, people used to wear togas, right? Back in like ancient times, a guy would wear a toga. Right. And a nice toga would cost you one ounce of gold. Today, a nice suit costs you one ounce of gold, right? So right. It, it's led you to, uh, so it's just giving you the ability for purchasing power, right? Gold, um, I'm going to leave Bitcoin out because I'm, I'm this, you can argue with DeFi and stuff, but, but gold and uh, sports cards, um, I, I, you, don't, you don't get any income. It's like owning a piece of land that you just have to pay, right? You're paying storage fees, you're paying whatever. You're not getting income from it. So it's not an income producing asset, right? Where if you bought like an investment property, you'd have some income. And, and, and potentially maybe the same sort of buying power in the future. Um, 
because it also is a, is a hedge against inflation. But do um, is, is the question is do, do I would I do, how do I see sports cards being a, a comparison to gold? Is that is that kind sure. of sure? Like like when you when you're thinking about sports cards as a store of value as an in, yeah. because let's face it right now great you know keeping up with inflation is pretty much a win. So is it? Well, that, I think that's what a lot of people are thinking right now is if we can just keep up with inflation, we're doing okay because inflation is so high. And right now, the the collectible markets seem to be down in many in many yeah. different different players and sports and that sort of thing. So, I'm kind of just yeah. How 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 safe do you feel having some of your net worth tied up in in sports cards and memorabilia versus precious metals or Bitcoin or other cryptos? You know, uh, precious metals, Bitcoin, all those are supposed to, it, it's a scarcity factor, right? And it, it fights inflation because you can't have more and more gold or more and more uh, Bitcoins produced. There's a limit to supply. And you could argue that the gold is more gold than people say there is. And you can argue that the Bitcoin hasn't done anything, okay, in terms of uh, hedge against inflation. With sports cards, the only way that I believe to fight that, and again, I, I keep saying we're not giving investment advice because truth will, the, the, the future will tell if we're right or not. But if you're buying the new stuff with the, um, use the term um, uh, something scarcity, um, like manufactured scarcity, right? Which is kind of like Bitcoin because it's not Bitcoin, but another coin comes up and another coin, another coin, another coin. If you get a Luca um, um, card next year, there's 25% more Luca cards, right? Every year you get more and more Luca cards. Buy Hank Aaron, it's no more Hank Aaron rookie cards, right? Or a Hank Aaron of, of, of the, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. They're just done. Now, you might have a modern card, but but I doubt people will be collecting modern Hank Aaron cards. I think you're talking about playing days cards. Yeah, sorry. Does that, does that, does that frame yeah. it better? Yeah. Exactly right. So I so I think the key is if you're buying something that the playing days are over, the supply is done, right? Yeah. That's to me, is, is, is the perfect analogy between that and like a, um, um, something else that it, it keeps increasing. And I think Luca, I don't know why, I don't even own the guy. I mean, I own one Luca card, but he's, and, and that's, I would like to own more, but I have no, um, I have no issue with Luca cards. But you know what I'm saying? The population will increase every year by the amount of years he's playing. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that does make sense. And I want to, I want to go back to a comment we had a, a while ago from T Dot. And uh, now I just have, I want to pull it up, T Dot, if you're still there. I don't understand the question completely, but I think I'd like to. It looks like a good question. Um, but I'm going to take a shot. I says, do you agree that rarity has standby audiences? as opposed to modern huge pop counts that don't. Neil, do you understand the, the question, the spirit of the question? I'm, I'm not sure I do. I agree that rarity has standby audience. So the, the rare cards of today will always be rare, but as opposed to modern cards where the pop counts that don't, maybe that's got to do with the manufacturer's scarcity? Maybe. I'm going to ask TDOT to rewrite the question if you'd like to still, and we can come back to it. Gross Bros Parodies, I like this, says, I love that Neil knows how much a toga, how much money a toga costs Back in the day, now not back in the day that any of us who were living now were alive, but back in the day in the 1400s, that Neil knows how much a toga cost back then. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's pretty fun for sure. I want to ask you this next, Neil. We talk about again, cards, memorabilia, unopened product. We talk about it as investments, and to me, and I've said this a hundred times on the various shows that I do, including Collectible Live, that when I spend money that is significant to me on a sports card, I consider it an investment as well. Sure, it's filling, it's checking off or crossing off a, a card on my want list, but it's also an investment. 
for me. And I have a threshold value in my mind and it moves around based on my mood or, you know, just my, yeah, my mood, my state of mind, any given day or week or month. But I have, I have a threshold. I want to know, do you have a threshold value, Neil, for you when you consider, whether you consider a card to be an investment or just a collectible? You know, when, when the market was going up, everyone was saying they were investments, right? When the market goes down, everyone says it's a hobby. So, like you said, it's it's. Uh, I guess you say whatever you can to make yourself feel better. Yeah, well said, well said. But do you? So let me let me let me ask the question again, though, just to be certain. For, and I'll, I'll I'll do it this way. For me, if I'm gonna spend, I, I'm willing to spend like maybe two hundred and fifty dollars on a card, and not worry too much if I'm ever gonna get my money back out of it. But anything over, I, I'm gonna use a range like two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars somewhere in there. I switch from being like, ah, if I don't get my money back out of it, I'll, you know, down the road, 25 years from now, I'll be okay. But once I get to that, like $500 level, I start to think about it more because that's a lot of money. $500 can, can be used for my family to put away for my kids' education, et cetera, et cetera. I start to, I start to think about it that way. And then I'm like, okay, is this a safe enough place to store some value that I could use later when I need that to, to liquidate and convert it to money to, to live or my family wants to. So I'm in that 250 to $500 range. Sometimes I might feel a little bit looser. Maybe I won some money or I did this or that, or, you know, sold the card, which I don't do very often either, but you know, maybe it'll be a thousand dollars one day. Where do you fall? Can you, can you quantify, or if you want, you don't have to, it's private, it's personal, or I should say it's personal, but does, does that kind of frame it a bit better for you to Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because um, one of your guests, the uh, uh, last name is Hart, and he had uh, he had a great yeah. collection, right? Yeah. He uh, and I remember taking note. He had about like he mentioned about 150 cards that he has. I think you asked him how many cards he has. About 150. So that's obviously a quality over quantity guy, right? Whereas I looked at my PWCC earlier today just to kind of get my number, and I'm at 800, right? And and I can tell you that if you took our average value of cards, he's destroying me. Okay. Because, like, I still like a 94 Manny Ramirez, right? Like, because it, 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 it's a fun card. It brings you back to my, what, 90, 90, the Bowman, whatever that was, 92, 94. But it made me, it's like a piece of my youth, and I love it. Where that I bought um, uh, not for an investment. I bought that for the hobby, right? And for nostalgia, right? No different than renting an iTunes movie, okay? So I'll pay $9.99 to, to see a movie. I'll pay $9.99 for an old Jason kid, okay? Okay. Now, when it comes to something that, uh, that I think has value in the future, it's I'm more of a deal guy. So if I saw something that was $1,000, but should have, sorry, this is $100, but it should be worth $1,000, I'm okay with it. But if I'm buying something for $1,000 and it's worth $1,000, I'm really questioning it, right? Yeah. So, but, I'll, but when, um, you know, everyone buys uh, uh, their wives a gift when the baby's born. I just heard about this, right? It's called like a push present. And um, for myself, I bought um, a Mickey, uh, I bought the Hulk Hogan Cosmo card, right? And I hope my wife's not listening. When 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 it came to her push present, today, I was very sensitive to what something like that would cost. When it came to Hulk Hogan card, was only one in the world. I became competitive with the person I was bidding on, and there was no rhyme or reason to what I was willing to pay for that card, right? And, uh, and that's, that's a mistake on my part. Maybe sometimes I'm putting the importance on the hobby and not on putting it away for something else. But uh, there's the, if you take the competitive part of it out of it, I feel like um, 
Sometimes when I don't think twice about a card, I land up with 800 slabbed cards, and maybe I should only have had 400 of those slabbed cards. Um, but I, I, to, to your point of the price range, I mean, they're around the same number you are. You know, yeah. not, um, it's more the perceived value than um, if I think something's worth a lot more. And I think you, I don't know, we talk about cars, right? If you were going to buy a car from somebody and the guy said, I'm gonna, it's got $10,000, but it's really worth 50, but you only want to spend five on the car, you'll probably find a way to spend the 10, right? Because you're getting a really good deal. So it's all about the deal. How good of a deal are you getting? Yeah. No, well said. Well said. I think I'd it's be better at that. Yeah. Good perspective. Uh, Charles says, agree with Neil. Modern, ultra modern prospecting is analogous to penny stock day trading versus the limited vintage cards in existence being similar to blue chip, lower volatility plays. Yeah, that sums it up quite nicely right there. Another question from Collectible it says, what criteria or filters does Neil use to invest slash collect in cards, i.e. basically minimum grade, price to value, scare, which you just spoke to a bit, uh, scarcity, iconic athlete, volatility, etc. Take a, I'll, I'll just sit back and let you take a shot, maybe go through these things one at a time and uh, how, you, how you deal with them. I can tell you that I'm not perfect at it at all. Um, I, I bought a Chamberlain rookie at the peak, right? And I remember talking to the PWCC guys. I'm like, oh, look how cool this is. He's like, what is that? I'm like, is it a seven? And I was so cool. I, was, I thought it was so cool that it was a seven. And he's like, what did you pay for it? I told him. And he, the look he gave me, I felt like I know I messed up. Um, but, it, but, it, but it humbled me, and I got to understand a little bit more about um, – um, that was like one of my bigger first high-ticket items. Um, if, if you could dollar-cost average on like a guy like Will Chamberlain, that's fantastic, right? But if you have a thousand dollars to spend, you just don't spend all thousand dollars at once, right? You maybe you spend it every single month. In terms of the minimum grade, uh, the the guy I mentioned the heart, he, his grade was like so high for his minimum yeah. grade, right? I was like, what? Um, but that's his collection, right? For me, it's not grade; it's eye appeal. And if it if the card's beautiful, I think the grading's wrong, right? I won't regrade it, but I'm just saying I don't believe grading is not the end all be all for me. I think that it's uh, imperfect science. I know Jeremy's trying to make it into a more perfect science, okay? And, I, and I'm rooting for you too, right? Because if I hear from one more person that if the grader has a bad day, I'm getting a bad grade, right? That should never be the case. And I've never really had much success in grading my own cards. I just haven't. I don't know what it is. Maybe I got fat fingers, but I'm putting fingerprints on these cards. I don't know. I've tried so hard and then I'll buy a 10. I'm like, this doesn't look like a 10 at all, right? It looks like my seven that I just got back. So. I'm being dramatic, tongue in cheek, but you understand what I'm saying. It's, 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 um, you can't go to a super, you can't go to a sports card shop and buy something like you could buy fruit, right? Basket of fruit. You have to actually pick each fruit individually and make sure that each fruit is beautiful. And, uh, and Jeremy, you once, you had a card that, um, uh, you showed, I forget what it was, but it was the most beautiful copy of it. It might not have been yours. Maybe it was on the, on the show with, with, that I saw. And, you know, you can't find, Look at that PSA one Mickey Mantle rookie card from PWCC's auction. It was tangled. It was wrangled, right? Was that a one? That was, I think it was a one point. Yeah, one, I think it was a one. It was a one. one. Is yeah. that right? So, you know, it's not a one, right? I mean, maybe it is, but then everything else is a five or a 10, right? Because it was so hideous. Whoever bought that card, muzzle. It's a nice, it's a little Mickey Mantle rookie. Congratulations, right? Just don't put up a photo when you try to sell it. Yeah. It, but that's what collectibles are great about, right? They're the really high quality items. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I don't have a minimum grade. I don't have a minimum value. Scarcity, they need to be very few of them. 
unfortunately, the populations only go up. And I don't believe necessarily the population reports either, right? A lot of nines get regraded. So you have like 15 Luca Golds and there's only 10 available ever. How's that possible, right? So we have a lot of work to do on that to make it a little more institutionalized. But unfortunately, I buy what I love and the players that I love. And, um, and I just hope one day people will like them too. Yeah. I mean, I think you listed the players, uh, a lot of athletes that you like to collect uh, earlier on, and they were all ones that I think are, are good blue chip sort of investments. Um, you know, the collectibles question here, minimum grade. I think I think a lot of people approach that based on the, the decade or the era of the card. The further back you get, the lower the minimum grade that you're, you're willing to purchase. Uh, price to value. I mean, that comes down to just, you know, finding deals pretty much. Iconic athlete hugely important if you're really investment minded when it comes to this volatility i think the more the more uh blue chip the athlete the less volatile the card will will ever be so uh great question fun to discuss thanks to collectible for that one. Oh, but do you believe uh, the last part jeremy that the volatility of a blue chip is going to be less it, but i think that plays into the grade Right, because if you don't know, if you go to a PSA site and look up uh, Mickey Mantle one, you're going to see a wide variation of prices. But that's okay. So that's a different thing, though, Neil. Because if you go to, if you are just looking at the PSA ones and then the prices they've sold for, yeah, they're going to be between fifteen thousand and fifty thousand dollars because there's such a variance within the ones. Not all ones are the same. There's, there's. You know, there are be- there are ones that look like sixes, and then there are ones like we were just talking about that look like they were crumpled up into a ball, you know, maybe dipped in water and then spread back out and sent in for grading. Those are still ones because there's really nothing lower than a one on the one to ten grading scale. They don't do a 0.5 or a zero. So, you know, if half the card's missing, they'll give it an A for authentic. So I do believe that. But I also believe that if we're talking about a graded card in, in this context, mm-hmm. you actually have to be much more granular or refined yeah. in the grading in the grade itself. That's all I want people I don't people think Vicky Mano is extremely volatile because of those huge fluctuations. You have to understand it's based on the grade within the grade. The car it's based on the card oh, itself oh, okay. and how 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 strong or weak it is for the grade. Yeah, exactly. Uh Gross Bros does say who are Neil's top three players he collects for his personal collection, any sport. You want to just rattle off your top three collecting collecting slash investing athletes? Yeah, I mean, without drinking Kool-Aid, because I would say Michael Jordan. So take Michael Jordan out. The ones that I'm collecting right now are Sabina from uh, Sabrina from uh, the WNBA. I think she's awesome. Um, uh, Mickey Mantle, which I think is a little played out. Um, uh, I've been collecting Kevin Durant in the last month, uh, which I know goes against everything we just talked about, but I've been collecting him. Um, and um, Wayne Gretzky. I've been doing yeah, a lot of Wayne Gretzky. And the, the, the answer to this question is pretty fluid, right? It might change. It might change over time. It will change over time. You know, I know Gross Bros is asking Neil, but I'm going to answer for myself too. For me, yeah. when I'm looking at players, I'm my searches, when I'm searching for players on marketplaces, I search for Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, I'll go hot, Crosby, Ovechkin, uh, mm. McDavid. And then I'll search for Ken Griffey Jr. Most that's about it for baseball. I believe really? basketball. Yeah, Jordan, Shaq, Kobe. That's who I look for in basketball. And football, it's Barry Sanders and Jerry Rice. That's who I'm looking for. Can we talk about 
I didn't I didn't mention any really really current players except for the, the hockey guys who are already guaranteed Hall of Famers. Can we talk about Shaquille O'Neal for a minute, right? Because yeah. I also do. By, by the way, uh, I don't know if you you know you have a brother, but I have the same search, right? Like those names are, and Barry Sanders, I don't think even won a, a title, but yet he's he's historic, and I remember from my youth, right? But Shaquille O'Neal, what Shaquille O'Neal card do you think your best card is? Say again, sorry. Your best Shaquille O'Neal card. Uh, I mean, I, I have one of his Playmakers Theaters, which is a, a pretty pretty is that sweet your card. Say. Is that your favorite card? Oh, uh, it's it's up there. I, I love. Yeah, it's up there for sure. Yeah, for Shaq. Yeah, I I I, I I've got a, some nice Shaq cards that I've picked up over the last couple of years, and uh, and I enjoy it. And I th- I think Shaq. You know, back to the collectible question here, as far as um, price to value, like th- yeah. it plays for Shaq because Shaquille O'Neal is one of the most dominant basketball players of all time. Michael Jordan, one of the most dominant basketball players of all time, but you can get Shaquille O'Neal cards for like the same Playmakers Theater Shaquille O'Neal that might be a five thousand dollar card is like a hundred thousand for Michael Jordan. I see good price to value there. Yeah, me right? too. I agree with you a hundred percent. Hundred percent. I love Shaq cards. Yeah, me too. Now this yeah. is listen. I'm still buying them. So if me anyone's too. gonna ever accuse me of pumping Shaq cards, please don't. Leave we don't them for me. Leave them. Leave them for me. Uh, Mitch Grotman says, what are Neil's favorite Wayne Gretzky cards he's picked up besides rookies? Do you have any others? I just picked up one uh, Wayne Gretzky card that I think is really cool. I'm just, I want to just pull it up on my uh, PWCC because I'm, I'm, um, I'm, uh, I'm not the biggest expert on hockey, but I, I saw this card and I really like it. It's, um, uh, it's a Wayne Gretzky card. That's a great question, by the way, because there's so many cool ones that he has. So um, many. So Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and uh, Messier um, had a triple auto in 2011 called the Cup. Again, I don't know much about hockey, Jeremy, so I don't know if it's upper deck the Cup. I don't know Is it, it might be an enshrinement. Yes, like 100% enshrinement. correct. Yes. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really cool card. Um, they, I think all three are, are, for me to know them in hockey, they're kind of like legends, right? Yeah. And I think having all three of those on the same card autographed, it's super cool, and it doesn't seem like uh, it's not a sticker. It's uh, it's on card, and um, and there's only ten of them. And I thought it was a nice card. Yeah, so, and right. I just bought. A, oh, sorry. No, that, that that's good. I, I think we're we're good with that one from uh, that question from Mitch. What do you think of that? Uh, I think it's. I mean, the enshrinements came out several years. Mm-hmm. If it's, uh, it just depends which copy. Is it a foil background or more of a white background? Foil. foil. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They're nice cards. The surfaces are very fragile with them. They scratch easily. So, you know, you got to make sure that, that you're happy with how that looks. Would you think the white one, if I would have said the white one, what would you have said? I would have said I love it. I don't have it. <laughs> but now I know, right? There's, I think it's a 2010 or 11 year enshrinement. I just think is one of the most beautiful triple auto cool. formatted card I've ever seen. So, okay, let's go to another question here. Peter Hall says, do you guys collect any sports that are considered non-us i.e soccer etc um i don't personally peter collect soccer or or cricket for that matter um dabble in some f1 how about you neil i have one soccer card by mia ham um i'm kind of i'm getting much bigger into female sports i feel like it's undervalued um but i mean to me it's it's hard to redefine um and uh, does wrestling count 
You said non-US. Oh, so I didn't see the non-US part. That's the US no. thing, yeah. No. All right, good. Let's go to here's a question from Contender. It says, why do modern RPAs of rookie players sell for more money than high-grade legend rookies like Michael Jordan? And, I mean, the answer is really simple there, Contender. I believe, first of all, RPAs are out of 99 usually. Uh, Michael Jordan's rookie card is out of like a million. Well, not quite, but there's uh, several out there. Uh, tens of thousands, the first of all. The second thing is people want to, people like to, there's an element of gamble. They like to be able to own a card, watch the games. There's there's about 500 people downstairs in the, in the hotel I'm in right now watching football with their RPAs of these quarterbacks, hoping that their player is going to win, that team's going to win today, and they'll be able to breathe easy for the next week until they play again. So it's a lot of what have you done for me lately, I believe, just to, to, to put a bow on that. Unless, Neil, you have anything to add to that. Flea Market Mixtape says, if Shaq had rings in Orlando, that would make a big difference. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, L.A. is a much, I don't know for sure, Flea Market. You might be right, you might be wrong. But in my, my perception is that L.A. is is kind of like the, the epicenter of the basketball card market. And, uh, you know, just Le- LeBron was there. Jordan, of course, Chicago makes a lot of sense. But... I don't know the answer to that. What do you think, Neil? Would it have made a difference? I think they they just printed a lot of cards. <laughs> simple as, as simple as that, huh? Yeah, that makes sense to me too. Okay, a couple more things. We're coming to the end of the show, but there's a few more topics I do want to touch on with you, Neil. Um, the first one is population reports. You mentioned it earlier that you know they're not they're not completely accurate, and I think this is a good opportunity for us to educate or inform the collectible live audience a little bit on. What is the, if you don't know, and if you do, bear with us, but what is the weakness with population reports as far as the PSA report goes and the BGS report goes? You know, I, 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 you, you put me onto this, and I think it's great. Your episode 126 with Ryan Stukosansky. Stukosansky, yeah, from Gemrate. He did it from Gemrate. Is a really great um, interview on that for people to listen to. I think he did a really nice job. I think he sounds like an amazing guy. Um, um, so, but, but for example, I have a nine. I want to um, send it in because I think it's a 10. I send it in. It still counts as a nine, right? So, and then PSA counts as a nine. Now, if you take, um, pick my Hulk Hogan rookie card, right? The 82 Cosmos. There's only one of them in the world, according to Heritage, that it's on PSA. But um, so I thought, well, damn, maybe it's on BG, maybe there's a 10 in BGS or an SGC. There isn't, right? But if there was, then is it really a one, right? So it's, it's uh, um, I think you have to aggregate all the grades to count them. Even if you think some graders are harder than others, I still think that those grades count. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that the key for me there is where people, there, there's such a, a gamification in the hobby based on, population reports and just the value of cards as the grade goes higher where a lot of people buy a card and there's people i met one guy at, at the summit industry summit card co this weekend who has i think he's made a lot of money by inspecting you know say a psa six or a seven or an eight and looking at it closely and thinking this should probably be you know today's standards i i think i could get a, a higher grade so he'll pay 300 dollars for a psa six Break it out, resubmit it, and if he gets that seven, that three, he just doubled his money minus grading fees. And I think there's a lot of so now what happens is if you don't if you don't give the grading company the original 
label back, that's going to sit in the population six report in the six in the in the in the sixth grade population, which will now be overstated. And I think it's a very it's a rampant when it comes to nines shooting for tens, especially on modern stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that, that that's one of the issues with population reports. And it's 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 an issue, but it's something that we just have to be cognizant of when we are relying on that data to make investment decisions and just know that it's not perfect data. If we know that, I think you're kind of covering yourself just knowing that. The question then becomes how how miss how 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 off are they? Are is it is it five how over are they five percent overstated? Are they twenty-five percent overstated? Where is it? I used to think it was lower. I think it's a bit higher now. I don't know what that percentage is, but if you were to tell me that or you know not that anyone knows for sure, but if I were to find out that the, the PSA population reports for eights and nines are overstated by twenty five percent, I wouldn't be surprised. That would that wouldn't that would make sense to me. Does that make sense? Where would you, where do you think? Well, I think the only the only thing you're you know for sure is that the tens aren't right. So tens are good. Tens, tens are good, right? Should be good. So uh, unless it's like a BVG ten, then maybe it's a uh, um, that might become a PSA ten. But the, just if you say PSA tens, there's I think those numbers are probably fairly uh, accurate. Yeah. Um, and then everything else you can just assume is is overdone. The the, the problem is that whatever the number says online, that's the that's the reality of what the, the world will see, and it doesn't really matter what the reality is. Very well said right there, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, we're going to go to a couple comments here as well. Uh, Peter Hall, uh, not going to give you investment advice on specific players. Sorry about that. Uh, Flea, Market says, Flea Market says Shaq won three in a row. Kobe on those Lakers isn't as impactful versus him, and Penny pulling that off. Cross Bro says if Shaq thinks the earth is flat, like him to go find the edge. Uh, yeah, we're not going to give advice on WWE. I'm sorry, Peter. And Rob says PSA should buy back the labels that we crack out of their slabs. Should they buy them back? Yeah, for what we paid for them to grade them, right? Probably not going to happen. Uh, Neil, I do want two more things, and we're we're leaving some on the table. It's been a great chat, but I want to I want you to just talk a little about a bit about the community aspect of the hobby and how it's impacted you and your enjoyment within the hobby. Sure. You know, I, I, um, I, for a long time, I was doing this in a vacuum. I had my, my brother passed away and I would, I would collect with him. But other than that, I didn't collect with anybody. And, uh, and one day somebody comes to my house and says to me, uh, do you, and it was my friend's girlfriend's name. I said, I met him and I said, do you have any hobbies? He tells me watches, like, eh, wine, eh. And he mentioned sports cards. And I was like, what? And immediately you become instantly good friends with them, right? And if I look at some of my closest friends, you would think we have nothing in common, but the fact that we like sports cards is something like, honestly, like if I had to pick like a fave five, they would all be there, right? Because I'd rather speak about this than many other things in my life. So I, I, there's an instant connection between people that, um, that I have when, when they collect cards. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just our type of personality or our old souls, but they are um, immediately, immediately is a connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, you know, one, one of the reasons why I, when I, when I prepare for collectible live sports cards live, I, I like to meet with the guests beforehand. And a big part of that is so that we can get to know each other, find some things in common, but you know, along with the sports cards to build rapport so that when we comes time to do the live show, mm-hmm. it's a, just a more comfortable experience for the guests, for myself and for the audience. And, you know, I, I, I talk about this right now because it comes down to 
having something in common. When we have something in common with people, we can build rapport and we can build relationships. And uh, and you're right. I'm the same thing. My, if I were to do a fave five on my phone sort of thing, you know, uh, it, it'd be a lot of my, my hobby friends would be at least four of those five slots for sure. Last question for you. Um, we're on Collectible Live. Collectible is a fractional ownership investment offering company uh, for sports cars and memorabilia. So I do want to know how you and I ask this of all of the guests that have come on on Collectible Live, which is what are your thoughts on fractional investing within the overall hobby landscape? Um, and and I want to put a spin on it with you, which because you we have talked about. I know you like it. You mentioned it earlier, but the spin with you is. Do you think that it's a legitimate method of sort of staying ahead of the curve because, you know, you can buy at the peak or you can buy before people catch on to things if you have if you have some good foresight. So can you kind of mix together how you feel about fractional investing in this space along with staying ahead of the curve? I hope it's not too complex of a question. Well, just, uh, in terms of staying ahead of the curve, I don't think it's really easy to do that on a collectible site, right? Collectibles because they're not going to have like a Sabrina – WNBA rookie card, right? It's just not big enough. Um, and by the time it gets on there, maybe it's, uh, it's already been um, accepted by the community as being a winner, right? Like a precious metal gem, whatever. That might, you'd see on collectibles, but it wasn't 10 years ago when nobody wanted to collect them as much, right? I don't know if that's the best example, but I just don't think you're finding undiscovered things as much. You're finding relative value, right? Yeah. That's, that's the one thing. And it's, that's the function of uh, what it takes to actually take something and put it on there. But in terms of... Um, um, uh, to me, that I think the future of it, you know, what I heard from one of your interviews, uh, I think his name was Larry, which was amazing, was the 86 Fleer uh, set, autograph set, where there's a whole bunch of guys that bought it together on Heritage's auction, that one site, uh, that, that one auction, and some guys put it together like a kibbutz and, 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 and bought it. I thought that's really, that's an interesting way for guys to, um, to uh, not crowdfund, but kind of all go in together with a card and not having to deal with storage and all that. So that's a great, really big positive. For me, a lot of cards that I really want, I won't buy in collectible. I'll just buy the card, right? Because I'd rather just have 100% of it. But when I look at the Will Chamberlain jersey, I think I could never buy that. It seems like a great place for me to do it. And I, I know we're running a long time, but I think what was really interesting is, is I heard of an integration, and it may have been on your site, with um, uh, collectibles and the some, a company called um, uh, the Alt or something. Uh, what's it called? Um, uh, they do the uh, vintage, not vintage. They have like a report on cards. Um, oh, Alton Insights. Yes, Alton Insights. Um, I, I had never heard of them before, and I, I looked into that. It was so cool, right? So cool. And they did an integration with the API feed with collectible. So now if you go in your portfolio, you can see your collectible. So, for example, I use Mint. Ever heard of Mint.com, like Intuit? If I can put in all my different assets, once I can put in my collectible assets, I think it would, I think that goes a long way in, um, in, in allowing me to do a fractional in a way so that I can um, actually show the rest of my assets. Otherwise, I'll have like a spreadsheet and I have to keep track, card ladder, vintage card prices. It's a lot, right? So the daily uh, valued asset is really, really cool. For me, I just haven't found the item yet that I really want to get behind. Yeah. Okay. No, good stuff. I appreciate I appreciate having you on, Neil. This was this is a fun, great, great conversation. Thanks to everyone in the chat. Gross bros, appreciate your comment right there. Uh, if you're not yet following Neil on Instagram, he recently joined. Let's help build him up some followers. It's on the ticker. You've seen the whole episode at Denver Card Lover. He recently moved to Denver. That's why he's wearing the cowboy hat. You're seeing me in a collared shirt in a different background because I'm in a hotel room. 
here at Harrah's looking over at the Mirage right now out the window. It's a nice sunny day here in Las Vegas. Collectible Live is on the road. Neil, thank you so much for joining. Final comments from you and then we're done. Um, I think we're all blessed to be able to do this type of stuff that we love so much, uh, right? Um, I think we, we can't lose sight of the fact that it's, it's a hobby. And um, easy fast for those that are fasting next week. Yom Kippur, Happy New Year for those that just had a New Year. And um, Jeremy, I can't thank you enough for all that you do. I listen to your podcast a lot. And, um, and I think you're so sincere. And I think we need more people like you. So thank you. Wow. That's, that's some, that's as they do, I took my cowboy hat. Very, very, I really I appreciate the comments, Neil. Thank you so much. It's been great getting to know you uh, the other day. And today, to everyone watching, thanks again for joining. We'll be back next week. Have a great week ahead. I'm going to head back down to the Industry Summit here, the Beckett Industry Summit in Las Vegas. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Neil, hang tight right there. This episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.